everyone. Welcome to Tent Pegs and Tabernacles with Micah and Delana Wood. This is episode three in this podcast series, and uh, it's been so much fun so far. And today's topic is one that a lot of people, um, I feel like, ask us about pretty often. It's a huge topic on our heart, so we are going to jump into Israel today. Now, I know that's a really massive topic, and we could hit that really from a lot of different angles, but today I want to start back at the very beginning, a very good place to start for my Sound of Music fans. Um, So we're going to start at the beginning. Um, Really, where this heart connection came in, you know, this was a topic that for us, even both of us raised in church, um, you know, we really did not have a deep connection here. So this was um, really an unexpected, interruptive element to our lives, and Micah was really at the forefront of this. So I'm going to let Micah jump in and start us on the very beginning of this storyline. So the very beginning sounds like a great place and an intimidating place to start, because it's sort of like you have to manufacture a beginning, like where is the actual beginning of this story? Right. Um, But I'll just make a quick reference to both of our upbringing. I think, Delana, you had more of an Israel awareness in the church that you grew up in, right, and uh, it was more of a more topically something that was discussed, prayed about, looked at in Scripture, connected to the return of the Lord. Where in the church that I was raised in, it was not there was there was never an anti-Israel slant. Mm-hmm. There was just never a strong discussion of Israel, from what I remember. Now, if I were to go back and ask like church leaders, my parents about that, they may say, actually, it was there the whole time, and I just didn't see it. And that's very possible. I just wasn't very aware of it. So let's fast forward to 2017 as a starting point. Now, in the years leading up to 2017, I had an interesting heart relationship regarding Israel. That's because in 2010, I began to read different theological authors um, that introduced me to a new way of approaching the Bible. And I'm really actually grateful for those voices in a way that they shaped me because it helped give me a larger, comprehensive, hermeneutic structure, you know, to put the whole Bible together from beginning to end. I was really thankful for that lens. However, one of the results of that, of those influences is that in my new hermeneutic structure, which of course hermeneutics, that's the overall way of interpreting the Bible, I I didn't have a place for Israel. I had a way of explaining the Old Testament that sort of basically de-emphasized Israel's role or God's promises to Israel. I I had a way of reading the New Testament that totally took Israel out of the story in a meaningful way. And so because of that way of interpreting the Bible, I looked at Israel today sort of as like this peculiarity. It was nothing, Israel today at that point in my life had no significance in any kind of theological way, certainly in no prophetic way. Actually, I probably looked at Israel today more as like a uh, potentially danger topic right. or or even potentially a heretical topic that if someone gets too supportive of Israel, they are in danger of like detracting from the central 
role of the uh, person in the New Testament, which is Jesus. And so anyway, so I had a complicated relationship with Israel in 2017, and it would take a long time to maybe explain all of the whys behind mm-hmm. that. And um, so anyway, I'm trying to, like, as I'm talking through, I'm, like, editing out how much <laughs> of the story do I go into. So in October of 2017, which if you've listened to the first two episodes of this podcast, the month of October keeps coming up over and over. I don't know exactly why, but it seems like yeah. <laughs> so many of my storylines go back to an October. God spoke to us in October of 2021 to come to Manchester. Well, this whole Israel connection started really in October of 2017. A guest minister came to the ramp. His name is Robert Stearns. And the really the only thing I knew about him is that he is an Israel guy. That was kind of my understanding. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's much more than that, but that was my understanding. And I wasn't particularly happy that he was coming that day. It was because, you know, a friend of ours, Samuel Bentley, invited him to come. And so, you know, we are in the lead pastor role there in Hamilton at that time. And so we're like, uh, who is this guy coming? So anyway, I meet him just before service, and the moment that I meet him, even though I have all of these obstacles in my mind, preference obstacles, theological obstacles, hermeneutic obstacles regarding Israel and this guest minister, Robert Stearns, all of a sudden, in one moment of meeting him, I feel God in that moment dealing with my heart. It was nothing he said. It was nothing he did. I literally just shook hands with him. just before service, and it's like I sensed God saying to me, something's about to happen and you need to open your heart. Well, that morning, as he begins to minister, I can't stop crying. Yeah, I remember that. It was very supernatural because there was no real explanation for it because you had did. You had so many walls up, you know, protective barriers there. And so it was, I remember that very well. Yeah, because, you know, that morning that he ministered, He didn't even get up and say anything that moved me to a place of tears. He literally just got up and Mm -hmm. stood there for a few moments. Actually, if you ever go back and can find that (laughs) service in our archives on the ramp, it'd be worth watching because he gets up and doesn't even really say anything at first. He just stands there kind of looking around the room, and I can't stop crying, which let me just add this little footnote kind of to this Israel story to encourage um, those of you that are listening just about your own prophetic story. There are times where you meet people or come across, I don't know, maybe maybe albums or something you read or it's a book, or and all of a sudden you're moved to tears in an unusual way. It's usually because God, in that moment, through that person, through that thing, you know, fill in the blank, mm-hmm. He's speaking to you in, in an area of destiny, of prophetic destiny, and something is being identified and unlocked. It may or may not even be about that specific person or that specific thing. It's much more what they're doing and what they're releasing is calling to something in you. It's awakening something within you. It's like seed moments, like yes. sowing of seed that's implanted. Sometimes it takes time to bear fruit or if you did really understand it, but it's like something is sown in yes, those moments. Yeah. definitely. So that was the kind of moment that that I had, and I could not stop crying that morning. You know, I'm I'm like doubled over in my chair, you know, borderline weeping because I'm crying so hard. I'm actually embarrassed that I'm crying that hard. But it's a, this weird conflict because my heart is open to what God is saying. My head doesn't know what to do with it. I don't even agree with like uh, this. Sounds weird to say. I don't even agree. I don't. Well, let me say it like this. I don't know how to explain what God's doing in me because I don't have a theological 
box for it, basically. Right. So anyway, um, so the storyline goes on from there, but that's really the beginning of it uh, as a major interruption in my life that I was, you know, resistant to. But then that that moment began a process that has now connected our hearts to Israel in a very deep way. Yeah, I think, too, it's so interesting because I think a lot of people can very easily assume that maybe we always had a strong Israel connection or a strong background with it, and we really didn't. Um, and I think that's something that's so surprising. And even the way that I think my perspective on Israel, even through... Um, you know, my upbringing and the church that I was in, it was, there was zero animosity toward Israel. There was just a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge. I, um, I knew that we were supposed to pray for Israel and bless Israel and stand in support with Israel, but I had no revelation on why or the significance of that. And so I feel like one of those super encouraging things in this whole storyline is you would think people who have like this Israel call, it would have been like this thing that, you know, from early age, the Lord had been working the whole time that we had always felt or always kind of assumed that at some point this would come together and it wasn't. And I think that's very encouraging for, for all of us that the Lord can, can do very surprising things when you least expect it, things that are not even on your radar. And I think a lot of times we can get very focused on, you know, trying to identify what is our singular calling as though there is this one thing that God has called us to do and the the mission of our lives. And if you really look at a lot of different people, you know, in the Bible, in the body of Christ, I mean, even in modern day, it's, it's very rare that you see just someone who only does one thing from the early part of their you know childhood all the way to death, you know, that the Lord loves to spring things on us even later in life. So I feel like that's a very encouraging point for everyone listening. Yeah, I agree that it's an encouraging point. You know, even the ministry we're part of, The Ramp, you look at uh, Karen Wheaton, who started The Ramp, founded The Ramp, and continues to lead The Ramp. Well, you know, that journey for her didn't even begin until she had been in full-time ministry for 20 years. It's not like, you know, from her earliest days as a little girl, she aspired to be in youth ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, she traveled as a gospel singer and as a minister, as a preacher for 20 years. And then after that, for 20 years, when she was 38, God spoke to her and said, now it's time to move back to your hometown of Hamilton, Alabama. Didn't give her a lot of details, didn't tell her the why. And when she gets there, God interrupts her heart with this storyline of the youth. And it has now you know, blossomed from that seed moment into a movement that has touched countless lives. So again, we are talking about Israel, but we're also talking about like prophetic storylines and how God works in your life. So be open. God can interrupt you. That's awesome. And I love something that you said there about Miss Karen's heart connection, you know, to what the Lord was calling her to do. I would love to hear you um, share a little bit about your processing. Once you got past that initial kind of shake up there that you didn't expect, talk about that process because I remember the wrestling in you on a theological level. Um, and some interesting things the Lord spoke to you in that process. Yeah. So that's, (laughs) yeah. I love talking about that part of this of this story. So once I had this moment in October of 2017, 
where Robert Stearns is ministering at the ramp. You know, I'm now wrestling, what do I do with this undeniable encounter with God I've just had? Furthermore, Robert Stearns invited me to come with him to Israel in the next January of 2018. So I had just a couple of month window from the encounter to the trip. I was going to be on a trip with other pastors who were going to Israel, most of them for the first time. So in that window, I think to myself, okay, I'm going to figure this out theologically. I'm going to, you know, basically, I'm open-hearted God, so let, let's, let me reconstruct my internal theological narrative so now I have space to hold this work you're doing in me. So I began to do that, and the way that happened is I started buying, you know, books that were theologically supportive of Israel and interpreted the Bible in a way that placed them in a prominent role prophetically and in the promises of God, the storyline of God. But honestly, as I began to read those books, it actually made me more frustrated because I was just getting more and more in the headspace of trying to figure it out, and all of these theologians were not convincing me to change my hermeneutic position, mm-hmm. um, you know, to change the way I was interpreting the Bible. So I was getting more frustrated and more anxious, and Delana probably experienced more irritable as I was trying <laughs> to wrestle through this. Well, as I'm going through that process, so that was about a month that I did that, from October all through November. At the beginning of December, I have a dream. And in the dream, it was on 12-2-2017. I know that date because it's a 122, and that's a whole other prophetic storyline. That connects to my friend Samuel Bentley. I hope he listens to this and hears his name mentioned twice <laughs> now because that would make him very excited. But anyway, I, I have this dream on December the 2nd, 2017. And in the dream, first I'm awakened in the morning by this very loud... I don't even know how to describe it, boom, outside of our window. I think a transformer blew up or something. But it woke me up, and I immediately go back to sleep. And when I go back to sleep, I go into a dream. I'll skip some of the dream, but the way the dream ends is I'm in a large like boarding house, and I'm about to walk up a flight of stairs. But as I'm about to walk up, I see an old Jewish couple walking down the flight of stairs. And this old Jewish couple walks up to me and says, can you help us? And I respond to them, of course I can. My roommate is Anne Frank. And I woke up from the dream knowing immediately its application for my life. For those of you that are not familiar with Anne Frank, she is a very well-known Jewish young lady who died in the Holocaust. But the reason she's so well-known is because she left behind her journal from the time when she, or her diary from the time where she was in hiding. And so that's become a, you know, a, a really personal and intimate look into the life of the Jews who were in hiding during the Holocaust. And so, of course, there's a play, The Diary of Anne Frank. There are movies about that. You, know, you can buy The Diary of Anne Frank and read that. So I knew what the Lord was saying to me was this. You're trying to like, figure out the theological side of this, but right now you need to put away the history books and you need to put, I mean, you need to put away the theology books and you need to pick up the history books. Mm-hmm. So you need to let your roommate be the, where you're dwelling, your headspace. It needs to be with the story of the Jewish people, not the theology of the Jewish right. people. 
And so that really redirected my emphasis and opened my heart in a profound way. And as I began to go down that journey, and there are different steps I took in that journey throughout the month of December, throughout the month of January, preparing for that Israel trip. As I was going through that journey, the Lord spoke several things to me that kept building upon that core idea that came to me through the dream. What He told me was this, give me your heart now, trust me with your heart, and I'll give your head what it needs later. Open your heart to me, embrace what I'm doing, later I'll give you the theological explanation of it, later I'll give you the language for it, later I'll give you the biblical found like perspective and foundation i'll give you all that later but right now open up your heart and through that process what god really cemented in me was this the jewish people are not a problem to solve the jewish people are a people to love and i realized that what i had been doing even in the name of theological integrity what i had been doing is essentially i had been dehumanizing the Jewish people by making them like a variable in this theological equation. Like, here's my theological equation. Here's Mm -hmm. how I look at the Bible. Here's how I think about the return of Jesus. Where do the Jews fit in? And just made it sort of like this very dehumanized discussion point. And the Lord spoke to me and said, as long as you see the Jewish people as a problem to solve, you're now thinking like a Nazi. Because the Nazis didn't call the Holocaust the Holocaust. They called it the final solution. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they saw the Jewish people as a problem to solve. And their answer was the Holocaust. It's the final solution. And so God really began to challenge me and break my heart for a people and and say, stop getting in such a, a, a cerebral mode that you're losing a heart connection with a people and with a story. I love that so much. I would love to talk about, um, you know, if you're a person that is not closed off to this, you know, you're like, this is, this sounds great, but I just, I don't know where to begin. You know, how do I open my heart to this? What are steps that I take? What are practical things that I can do? Um, to put myself in a place where I'm, you know, I can hear the Lord speak or give revelation about this. I'd love to talk about some of those things because I think, Sometimes what you see with people is if they have this connection with either the land of Israel or the people of Israel, or there's just a lot of connotation there Um, and imagery that comes to mind about what that looks like. Um, like I need to buy a prayer shawl and I, you know, I need to start hosting Jewish feasts in my home and I need to start doing all of these things. And, and not that any of those are bad things, but sometimes I think the things that are most familiar in our minds, the things we associate with the Jewish people or the land of Israel, while those can be really great things, it's not always the path necessarily the Lord is asking us to take or the thing that he's wanting to do in us. Could you talk about some of those things? Yeah, definitely. And just to begin with what Delana said, a heart connection to Israel does not equal you now have to adopt the uh, style of what you think Israel people do. Right. I, I, and it's a really, like, I didn't say that very well, but honestly, one of my biggest objections to having a heart connection to Israel is I wasn't particularly fond of the stylistic expression 
of Christians I knew that were connected to Israel. Right. And so it's like, well, I don't want to be that guy. I don't I like I don't want to have to carry a shofar everywhere. I'm not against shofars. Actually, at every conference at the ramp, we open with blowing a shofar. So, but but there were certain preference objections that I had that God sometimes has to like remind us, I'm not telling you to embrace the preferences of everyone who's in this vein. Right. I'm telling you to connect to a deeper reality, and that deeper reality transcends preferences, styles, the expressions of what this typically looks like. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's a really big question and thought. I'm just wondering where do we begin? Yeah. And what's this? Yeah. Well, I just, I think there are so many different, you know, options there, things that you can do. Um, but I feel like a very simple thing is beginning in the place of prayer mm-hmm. with very honest prayers. And you know, sometimes the the most honest you can get is to say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. I feel like this is an area that is that that carries weight and significance, but I don't have revelation here. But I want to grow in this arena. I want to learn. I want to have an open heart. You know, and just being completely candid and transparent before the Lord and saying, you know, do I have any sort of internal hangups that I am, that are working against what you want to do in my life? Could you expose those things? And, and, you know, we've, we've talked about this in a lot of different ways is that a lot of times really it is a heart connection. That is, that is the most important thing. It's like, if you, if there's no heart connection to what you're doing, then what value does it hold? How genuine can it be? So I think even being able to, to start in the place of prayer, the more you begin to pray for something, someone, even as the Lord says, pray for your enemies. I mean, he goes so as far as to say your enemies. When, when we're faithful to be obedient to that commandment, to pray, it naturally causes, or I should say supernaturally causes our hearts to grow in connection with the thing that we're praying for. Yeah, I love that being a starting point. And as you know, you approach this whole topic of Israel from the place of prayer, I also want to encourage you that are listening that it's okay that it's an incremental process. Right. Because sometimes Israel can be like a hypercharged polarizing topic. And sometimes when something's very polarizing, you don't really have space to engage incrementally and honestly. And so this whole idea of praying for Israel, I, so right after the Lord began to do this work in me, you know, I was like, okay, fine, Lord, like, I get it. You're speaking to me about Israel. I'm going to go pray for Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we may come back to that scripture later from Psalm 122. I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go pray. So, I, you know, there in Hamilton, I had different places I would go and pray, of course, at my house. But then, you know, there's this area that we call Camp Ramp that uh, a lot of people go and pray out in the woods. So I, I went to this certain spot by the creek to pray. And I don't know how long I was out there. It felt like forever because it was a very dry prayer time. It wasn't <laughs> like in the vein. It wasn't, you know, in a grace zone. It was just striving and pushing. And so, because I went out there to say, okay, God, I'm going to pray for Israel. So I went out there and I, it just it was not going anywhere. And I was so frustrated because I left that time of prayer thinking, God, I'm trying to do what you told me. And I realized later, months later, 
you know, as I reflected on that moment, what was happening, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you were trying to force in a moment what I'm trying to build in you over a lifetime. Mm, so good. And so even as you begin to engage in prayer and ask God questions, it's okay if there's not a, you know, supernatural download in a moment where all of a sudden your heart's connected, this is an area of revelation. I encourage you to open your heart to the incremental process of God building within you something that will really be sustained over the long haul, over the That's long very term. Good. Very good. Yeah. So let's maybe look at that scripture a little more from Psalm 122, because I actually think it holds some keys on how to connect more deeply Mm -hmm. to Israel. So I'm just going to read this verse and then read the the maybe two or three after that follow. So this is Psalm 122, verse 6. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then it begins to quote what you pray. So it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, colon, quotation marks. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. So that's the way in which we're called to pray. But what I love is the next verse in verse number eight, and I think it's the major key for what a heart connection to Israel looks like. It says, For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. So the writer of this psalm says here my Bible, Song of Ascents of David. So David's the writer here. It says in verse 8, for the sake of my brethren and my companions. So in other words, the prayer for the peace of Jerusalem comes out of seeing the inhabitants of Jerusalem, not just as the Jewish people generically, or not just as Israel broadly, but as brethren and companions. When there's a relational connection to the Jewish people, it opens your heart in prayer. That's really been meaningful to me lately in the place of prayer. You also see this in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is still with the Jewish people who are in Babylonian exile. And he's a cupbearer. But he sees people coming back from Jerusalem, and he asks, what is the situation in Jerusalem? And when he hears that they are vulnerable to their enemies, it breaks his heart, and Nehemiah begins to weep. He weeps so much he can't. He can't control it. Can't keep himself together. Himself together. So when he goes before the king, as the cupbearer, the king notices that Nehemiah is distraught. Nehemiah is not trying to perfect to project that. He's trying to cover that up. When the king says, "Nehemiah, what was the problem?" Nehemiah's a little scared. Like, oh no, <laughs> I'm not supposed to have this countenance before the king. He begins to talk about his heart for Jerusalem, and then Nehemiah is commissioned to go rebuild the city right. walls of Jerusalem. So the idea there is those that weep over Jerusalem are those that rebuild Jerusalem, that it's the relational connection with the people that then propels us forward. And again, so often when you start to talk about Israel to Christians, especially in the West, that topic hits so many theological boxes and we have so many associations. We put it in compartments about, well, if I'm supportive of Israel, that means I'm in this you know, box about eschatology and end times. Or it, it, you know, if I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that means I'm in this box of how to interpret the Bible. And what I want to encourage you to do is, is to say, step away from the boxes for a moment. It's not that they're not important. You know, mm-hmm. theological boundaries are important. Interpreting the Bible correctly is important. 
But step away from the boxes for just a moment and let God soften your heart for a people. Begin to read the story of the Jewish people and let even the historical perspective begin to speak to you in in new and meaningful ways. I love that so much. And it's not just the theological box that we have to kind of watch out for. It's even like modern day, the political nature of it. I mean, just the culture we live in is supercharged with the whole topic. And so it can be a lot to engage with or, or wade through. Cause it's, it's very, you can very easily feel like you're in over your head. So I think in a very similar way, it's not that those things don't matter, but instead of being overwhelmed with trying to solve all of the, the answers, the, que- the, que- you know, the questions that you have, find the answers to those things. It's like exactly what you're saying, focusing on that heart connection and, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Nehemiah weeping over Jerusalem, you know, it just makes me think about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. You know, how much did he love the city of Jerusalem? And I think sometimes we're so concerned with, you know, making sure, you know, is this theologically correct? Or, you know, how do I personally feel about this? Or, oh, that's not really something I'm into. I, you know, I'm more into this thing over here. And really, the thing that comes back to me so many times is if this is of importance to Jesus, shouldn't it be important to us? Wow, yeah. If there is something, if the Lord says that Israel is the apple of his eye, if Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem and all of these promises centered around her, wouldn't it behoove us to make sure that we care about something that the Lord so deeply cares about. Whether we understand everything about it or have all of the answers, what is our heart position? And I think we many times want the Lord to engage with us on the things that concern our heart, the things that we feel passionate about, the things that concern us, the things that we love. And how often do we turn around and go, Lord, what moves your heart? What do you love? What has captured your attention and how can I engage with that? That is so good. It actually reminds me of a dream that someone on our team in Hamilton had a couple of years ago. Her name is Shiloh and I may get some of the details a little off. So Shiloh, if you listen to this, uh, please send in the correct details and correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But from what I remember of the dream, in the dream, she is reading the book Reese Howe's Intercessor or her father is reading the book. I can't remember who's reading, either her or her father. But in the dream, that book is involved, right. and she's interacting with her father. And she wants to talk to her father about this book, but every time she brings it up, her dad just wants to talk about Israel. And she tries. she's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, and kind of engages a little, but then wants to kind of come back and talk about the book. But then her dad just keeps talking about Israel. And she woke up from the dream... And she knew that the father represented the father, God, and that in the area of intercession, he has something on his heart he wants to talk about. Mm. And the area he wants to talk about is Israel. And so what I want to say is, you know, some of you may be listening to this wondering, well, is this just like a specific call for individuals that, you know, physically will be there? Or is this just a call for people who will be a specific area of focus, people you know, from church history, even over the last century, like Derek Prince, who had a 
obvious call to Israel? Is that just for those people? And I think what I would like to say is I believe there's some level of an intercessory connection that every believer around the entire world is called to have regarding Israel. And I can talk about why, maybe we'll jump into that in, an, in, in another podcast, but I think if we are disciples of Jesus, and we are people who believe in the authority of the Bible mm-hmm. from Genesis to Revelation, then there is a clear Israel mandate we all carry globally as the church regarding the destiny of Israel and God's promises to her. So, so that's a big idea. But that's why we're encouraging you to connect, because it's not just our story, but it's also your story. It's God's story. It's it's the story of the nations and what God is doing among them. So maybe I maybe we'll end kind of in two different places, love. One is I'd love for you to share the dream that we were discussing a little earlier about the U-boats, and because I think that holds some... Uh, a, Really great yeah. insight for those listening. And then maybe we'll end with some practical updates because a lot of people ask us, you know, so what about Israel? And uh, what does that mean for you guys? Right. What's your timeline? What's your connection? What are you going to be doing? So maybe we could end there, but maybe tell them the U-boat dream first. Yeah, so I had this. It was a very brief dream, but it was very distinct. I woke up. I knew it was important. I knew it was from the Lord. And it was very simple. It was just that we were taking people from Hamilton to Jerusalem in U-boats. And Micah immediately had all of this revelation, as he (laughs) usually does on these dreams, which sometimes I do get that revelation. I know immediately what it is. Sometimes I really just like to sit with it for a while, ponder, take it to the place of prayer. But this was one Micah was like, I know what this means. Well, the dream was immediately exciting to me because it's similar to my Anne Frank dream. Right. Um, where you know God speaking to you about Israel is a surprise. But what's also a surprise is the way he connects your heart. And the way we were seeing people have a heart connection with Jerusalem in the dream is by sending them there through U-boats. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography of Hamilton or Jerusalem, you know you may not know this, but it's impossible to actually do that. Yeah. You can't send people by water from Hamilton, Alabama to Jerusalem, Israel. Neither one has a port. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, so the dream is clearly metaphorical in its application. U-boats, those were the submarines that the Germans used during World War I and World War II. So it's interesting to me the way in which people from Hamilton were getting connected to Jerusalem is through submersion and underground mm-hmm. you know, um, avenue, and it was through a historical storyline right. of the Germans and you know what the Nazi party did to the Jews. And so there's so many layers there, to, I think, to unpack. But all that to say, the way God connects you to Israel may not be obvious, may not be on the surface, it may be under the surface, mm-hmm. and it may not be through a theological or biblical lens initially, though those are very important. Maybe much more of a historical, relational lens, understanding the suffering of the Jewish people and what they face in terms of their existential threats. Right. That may be the avenue that God grips your heart. It was the avenue God used to grip my heart. So let's jump to the practical side um, to finish this up. So what about Israel? Where are we, love? What does that mean? What's our timeline? What are we doing? <laughs> it's a great Jump question. In. And the easiest answer is we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As with so many things, it's like we, you know, we see in part and we prophesy in part, you know, and we don't have the fullness of, you know, 
the storyline here or where all the puzzle pieces fit. We just know that they're on the table. Yeah. We're not throwing them away. We're comfortable to let them sit there as long as they need to sit there until the right one comes into focus and you put it in the right place. So, um, I have been saying this to people lately though, and it's not even really an answer, but it is a pondering, I think. And I think so many people do assume if you have a call to Israel, that must mean that you relocate to Israel. And while I think that that is, can be very true, I think it's true of a lot of different people who have been called to the land of Israel. They have moved there. They are working physically in the land. Um, we have not had a specific word thus far to live in the land of Israel, to move to the land of Israel. Now we're wide open, you know, the Lord can speak that at any point if he wants to. Right now we're trying to be faithful with what's in front of us here, completely wide open to whatever the Lord wants to reveal or speak or whatever connections he wants to make, whatever development he wants to do in us in this season. So we just know there's purpose in us being here. We've begun to see fruitful things, uh, but we know it's not the fullness either. Yeah. I, you know, I respond in a similar way when people ask about Israel. I just say, it's a mystery. You know, people are like, so what about Israel? It's a mystery. And there's, you know, walking with God with a, you know, prophetic sensitivity you just l- learn to live in tension. Right. And the tension, again, tent pegs and tabernacles, tent pegs, y- y- you live in a tension point of both stability and mobility, structure, and then at any moment you can be pulled up and relocated somewhere. And so that's kind of like our Israel story. There are clear promises from God to us concerning Israel, mm-hmm. and but we don't know what that looks like. You know, sometimes people ask, are you, are you starting a church in Israel? We have no idea that... W- God never said that specifically to us. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to be doing there? Is it, a, is it a prayer room? Are you going to come in and out? Are you going to be teaching? We don't know. It's like kind of maybe all the above, maybe none of the above. The specific strategy we know will be revealed in time. So let that encourage you on two levels. Number one, it, regarding Israel, if you don't know what God's expecting of you, I would like to say for us, same we <laughs> it's okay yeah that's okay we're just walking it out step at a time so just open your heart to a heart connection and see where god takes that so that's the second the first thing the second thing is more broadly if you're walking out a prophetic storyline and you don't know where it's going that's okay too jesus said in john chapter 3 those who are born of the spirit are like the wind you don't know where they come from you don't know where they're going and so it's okay if your life has a lot of puzzle pieces, but not a complete picture. Keep walking it out and God will be faithful. Love it. It's beautiful. Well, love, anything else before we sign off? I don't think so. I think that was great. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining us for this episode of Tent Pegs and Tabernacles. We look forward to spending time with you in the next one.